Hi and welcome to the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon. In each episode, we'll talk to or about an interesting person or organization related to journalism. The intent is to show that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Thank you for listening. On this episode, we are joined by Bettina Chang, the co-founder and executive editorial director of City Bureau. City Bureau is a nonprofit civic journalism lab based on the south side of Chicago that brings journalists and communities together in a collaborative spirit to produce media that is impactful, equitable, and responsive to the public. Bettina has worked in the media since 2010. Prior to starting City Bureau in 2015, she was the executive digital editor at Chicago Magazine. Okay, that's a very broad overview. Uh, Bettina, welcome. Can you explain the path that led you to co-found City Bureau? Hi, Mark. Um, thank you so much for having me on. I'm, I'm excited to chat with you today. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a, a very winding path through media. Um, I worked at trade magazines. I worked at, um, you know, a national uh, uh, ideas magazine. I did home decor and real estate <laughs> briefly um, and ended up in Chicago doing local news, uh, which is my passion. And around that time, you know, I connected with a bunch of other really brilliant people in Chicago who are working in different parts of journalism. And I think uh, what really, I uh, what really made us have this idea for City Bureau was just realizing how journalism wasn't necessarily living up to the the ideals of what we thought we were getting into when we got into this industry, which is like, you know, this very important pillar to democracy, something that serves the people, um, something that brings really important information to communities that need it most. I'm sure a lot of your listeners will know there's plenty of problems with that model, right? There's a business model problem. There's a problem of a long history of racism and white supremacy in media. And all of that was really coming to a head in Chicago in 2015 when it came to the killing of Laquan McDonald, um, a police killing that uh, had been um, sort of held away from public eyes for many years because of a combination of the way that the city had handled it and also the way that journalists report on police shootings. And so around that time, we realized, you know, when this when this story breaks, when the video gets released, right, like now we're familiar with this, um, the, the cycle of protests and uh, demands and, you know, but back then it was a little bit more new and we knew that the, the news coverage around that might lack the voice of people who are most directly affected by, by police violence, which is mostly younger black and brown men on the south and west sides of Chicago who don't often get to have a voice in media. And so we created City Bureau with the idea that like if we could train more people of color to be journalists, that we would put ourselves on a better path where journalism might be more equitable, might be more responsive to the needs of communities, especially communities of color, of folks who are either vulnerable or have been disinvested in for the history of Chicago. So that's sort of the place where we started. And uh, this is about, as I think you described it in another interview, reimagining local news and making it from the bottom up rather than the top down. So how does this fit within the journalistic ecosphere? 
Well, there's a few things that we do now. Like I said, we started with this training program, um, mostly focusing on people who are underrepresented in the industry, uh, but quickly learning that representation really isn't enough, that it's not just about having the right types of people in the newsroom, but rather taking a really deep look at what are the practices and the standards of journalism that we've gotten so used to within the industry, but actually are built on really harmful practices that have put down communities of color and other um, you know, minorities, socioeconomic levels, um, who just don't get to have the type of voice that the more powerful and rich do in our media. And so we started a documentaries program, we started a public newsroom program. These programs are designed to create different points of entry into journalism to understand how media, civics, and uh, community engagement all tie together that can create a, a better ecosystem for finding and sharing information. There are a bunch of different tracks that you just mentioned. Can you fill us in on the traditional track? I have seen some of your, your, the work that your reporters have done, uh, even in big, big uh, news media, such as The Guardian and other sources. Can you start with that? And then we will get to, to some of the new things that you guys have created. Yeah, for sure. Our um, civic reporting programs, uh, people apply. Uh, it's a paid training program where you both learn and uh, mentor at the same time. Journalists of different skill levels. So we have like team leaders who are more experienced journalists and then people who are really new to uh, journalism who are working together to create these articles, um, either articles or other editorial projects, whether it's video or an audio clip, a text message service, a database, a zine, or even an event, anything that can really capture a lot of information, like the type of information that journalists get, which is stories, data, facts, analysis, and then put it into some sort of product where our target audience can consume it and gain something out of it. So we have partnered with larger publications like The Guardian or, you know, the Chicago Reader, WBEZ, but we've also done, produced our own independent projects uh, like the After the Trial zine, which is a uh, guide to prisoners and their loved ones for post-incarceration litigation, created standalone events like the um, Ask a Maternal Health Expert Anything event that we had. <laughs> Um, which is basically like a, you know, like a science fair, but for, for new moms and anything that really can get critical information to the audience that, that needs it, we will do. And that is part of your training program. You're learning both to report and to write and also to produce um, this type of more community oriented journalism that we're known for. And another thing that you do is you mentioned it before, the documenters program. I can remember in uh, when I was taking journalism classes, going to local town meetings and getting very frustrated very quickly with how those went. So I'm curious uh, what you train people in uh, how that and how that has uh, developed. Uh, definitely. We train people in just the basic skills of collecting information and documenting an important public event. So we teach people to take detailed notes and also to live tweet the event. Those are the two main skills that we use to cover public meetings. Um, understanding that, you know, there's dozens of, of public agencies in Chicago and in Cook County. There's no way that the city can support enough journalists to attend every single one of those meetings. And yet each meeting has a direct impact on the lives of the people who live here. So, you know, when those meetings go unwatched, there are a lot of things that can happen. You know, sometimes people don't even show up, right? Like these are public officials who are supposed to be meeting, but they're not. Um, sometimes they try to bar people from attending. 
Sometimes they go into executive session, which is, um, you know, a way to sort of keep journalists and outside observers out when they shouldn't be allowed to. And so this level of transparency um, and government accountability is something we're trying to reintroduce into the civic fabric of Chicago by saying, like, it doesn't have to be journalists. It could just be concerned citizens who want to learn how to do this and create an important resource that anybody can use. When you train a documenter, what do you find that they typically do well and what do you typically find that uh, they need uh, more instruction in? It is such a wide range. It is a huge range of people. We have documenters trained from 16 to 75. Um, so sometimes it's like, this is what Twitter is, right? And sometimes <laughs> it's like, this is what the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District is. So, you know, it's, it's such, such a wide range. I think the diversity of the types of people we train through documenters is really the benefit, right? We get to see such, a, um, such an interesting group of people all learning from each other, picking up skills, developing a community, and, um, you know, creating a community of practice around the idea of government accountability. Uh, which I think is really special and unique, especially in a place like Chicago, where we have a history of corruption. We have a history of disengagement from politics because of that level of corruption. And uh, we're trying to rebuild this idea of like, you can be involved in your local government. It can be exciting and fun and you can get something out of it, you know, whether it's just learning the skills or being paid to actually use those skills. When the 16-year-olds and the 75s, the two extremes of it, come to you, uh, what are the reasons that they come to you to want to do it? Great question. They're, again, a wide range, but I think the most common thing is, um, the one of the most common things we hear is that people know intuitively that these meetings are important and that things are happening that might affect them, but they don't know, they don't know what is the avenue to be able to learn more and to get involved. And um, I always like to think of it as, you know, documentaries is like just a different form of civic action, right? Like you're told when you learn it in school, you're told that you can vote, you can run for office, you can volunteer for like political organizations. But if you don't want to do that, then like what else is there, right? So documentaries is just a different way for people to get involved, whether they're new to the city, so they just want to learn more and they want to, you know, find a community, or they've been here their whole lives and they just want to take that extra step to be more, more directly in uh, involved in the work that's happening every day at a civic level. What have you found from the people on the receiving end? Uh, the government officials? No, no, the people that are get, that are getting the information. Oh, um, you know, I think people are just fascinated, you know, like local government. Um, it's sort of like a, you know, that show Parks and Recreation? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a combination of like totally inane conversations <laughs> where there's like arguments going on and you're like really you guys spent an hour doing that um and then just like wow like i can't believe that for instance you can search the word covid on our website on documentaries.org and you can see the very first mention of covid that happened in any government meeting right in chicago and it wasn't it wasn't until february and during that meeting it was like only a single sentence so it's sort of wild to be like okay we have this huge bureaucracy, a huge government, all these people working to make, you know, make our city work. Um, and uh, you can use this to understand the world that we live in if you know where to look, right? Like this bureaucracy, if you can like play that game, you, there you have such a deeper understanding of how things happen here. All right. To segue to another thing that your group does, can you explain how the public newsroom uh, connects reporters to the community? 
The public newsroom is a workshop. It used to be in person, unfortunately, obviously not really happening this year in person anymore. Um, but you, we used to literally open up our newsroom and say like, come in, like, let's talk about the issues in the news together so that we can understand how you're thinking about it. What do you think about the way it's been covered? What are we missing? Um, and it's really evolved into a, uh, a workshop where folks can come in and um, we usually have a host. The presenters are could be anyone from an activist to a sociologist to an artist. Um, to, you know, anybody, uh, we sometimes have youth-led public newsrooms um, that uh, really equip people with different skills and knowledge and invite debate and discussion around the issues that really matter in the news. So whether it's housing or health or um, anything like that, people can discuss and debate it. Um, and what I love a lot about the public newsroom is that you get to meet like-minded people and you also get to really understand people's perspectives on um on how the news is produced um and, and like how we talk about these issues right because it's not just about news but about information and um the sharing of knowledge um you know we recently did a public newsroom that's all about starting your own uh, mutual aid project uh, so that people can under understand you know that the way that we live together is not just about what is in the news and what is about journalism, but how are people supporting each other in a time where it's almost hard to capture the level of, uh, of tragedy and also like the levels of resilience that we see in community just by telling stories. What's an example of a conversation that happens in one of those? We had a great conversation uh, going back to police accountability um, where a, um, a former black policeman was talking to somebody in the audience about um, accountability and, and what are the barriers to accountability. And you really see people wrestle with these issues, right? Sometimes like when you read a news article, it's easy to take a, to, to walk away with sort of like a one-sided like, oh, like this is what I took away from it. And it's sort of like a, tran like a single transaction. Whereas when you're in the same room with somebody and you have to grapple with all the nuances and complications of the topic, it really puts you in a different position and, and, uh, and makes you engage in a different way. That reminds me of uh, an earlier episode that we had with uh, Spaceship Media, where they talked about uh, how it becomes such a different thing uh, when you bring two different sides uh, of an issue together, that it's not so much the yelling and screaming anymore, it's actual, uh, it's discussion and consideration and thought and everything that uh, goes into it. More with Bettina Chang in just a moment. Welcome to Journalism History, a podcast that rips out the pages of your history books to re-examine the stories you thought you knew and the ones you were never told. I'm Terry Finneman, and I research media coverage of women in politics. And I'm Nick Hershon, and I research the history of New York sports. And I'm Ken Ward, and I research the journalism history of the Great Plains and Rocky Mountains. Find the Journalism History Podcast at journalism-history.org slash podcast, and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Uh, you mentioned after the trial before. Can you tell us um, more about how that turned out? Yeah, so after the trial was actually started out being reported out as a story where we had a young man, we met a young man who was in prison who said his lawyer had uh, misrepresented 
represented him during the trial and that's how he ended up in prison and he was telling us about how hard it is to appeal your case once once you're behind bars um and so we learned a lot about that process and you know our, our sort of you know uh, the journalistic instinct in that situation is to say like we'll tell his story like talk about how tragic it is that he's in prison that he can't access you know, the legal text or the paper or even like the printer and mailing materials to submit the paperwork that needs to be submitted legally for his appeal. But what we found after talking to him and, and also talking to advocates in the prison system was that the story doesn't need to be told to an outside audience. What needs to be done is to the information needs to be provided directly to people who are in prison, that folks who are trying to appeal their cases actually uh, oftentimes just need access to that information. I mean, of course, there's a lot of other barriers, but like the fact that it's really hard to understand, for instance, uh, when the deadlines are for filing your paperwork is a huge barrier. And, you know, when your deadline is, is not something that should be information that's locked up just for legal scholars. Um, and so through that process, we decided to produce, uh, instead of an article about this young man, we produced a zine that would be informational for people like him, for people like his family, We're just trying to understand how the system works and how, how to navigate it. And um, that zine is now being distributed in prisons in Illinois. Um, it, in fact, is even being taught at the prison where this young man was. <laughs> um, and we think that that kind of understanding information as a resource and as a service is so key to being able to serve an audience. So one of the things that struck me when I read about that was that I guess now that you're immersed in something like this, you see it. But my first thought was, shouldn't that have been provided to those people in another way? Like, is there something that's going on here that that I'm missing that that leads to like the idea that, and I think it's great, journalists um, taking control of it, but, but what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, I would say that's the case with almost everything in our system, right? Like whether you are being sold or whether you are being told to go to a currency exchange uh, to cash a check or whether you are um, unable to apply for unemployment benefits, there are many people who live in our city and in our society who are being held back due to a simple lack of information. And whoever's fault it is, right, like whether people benefit from this information being kept from people or whether it's like just not understanding, right, like that sometimes, sometimes officials don't understand how hard it is to apply for unemployment you know, like that has already happened. We need to accept it as a reality. And um, if journalists think that a story or a narrative is the best way to put that forward, then that's fine. But it's not always the best way to put it forward. Sometimes an information service can be provided directly by journalists who, number one, have access to the information. And number two, are like extremely distinctly trained to provide it in a usable way, right? That like not you know, sometimes getting information from a lawyer is not the ideal way to find information. Sometimes people just need it explained in a very conversational, understandable, enjoyable way, right, that, yep. that we're taught to do. And um, yeah, I mean, I guess like I would say that's the truth. For instance, we're currently sending out a bunch of letters to people who have an eviction filing against them. Evictions are technically under a moratorium right now in Illinois and across the country, but there are certain loopholes that allow landlords to still file eviction against you. And there are people who are responding to these letters who say like, wow, thank you so much for telling me. We are the first people who are telling them that they've had an eviction filed against them. And so, you know, 
the the information systems, especially around folks who have really low, uh, a smaller amount of power, whether it's because of their race or their socioeconomic status or whatever, these information systems are broken often on purpose to exploit them. And I think that as a journalist, you really need to work against that in order to do your job. I was trying to think of the appropriate name for what a group like yours is doing and a group like Outlier in Detroit uh, is doing. Um, basic needs journalism, is, is that the, the best way to describe it? I, I would call it good journalism, okay. <laughs> you know, it's like right. it's the kind that recognizes, you know, that there are some people who need information the most right now, and that maybe, you know, that type of need is more important to fill than some others. One thing that I've noticed is that your group uh, does some special projects that leverage technology creatively. You have a Twitter bot that tracks bills through the city council, and you have a functioning website in the spirit of what I called the combination, Mike Royko, John Oliver, Samantha B, has my alderman been indicted.com. Um, can, you, can, you, can you tell us about that? Um, I think it's just a combination of, you know, there is, there is information that needs to be out there. Sometimes it's really simple, like sending a zine, or I guess simple is such an over, you know, but like sometimes it's, it's re something really serious, like sending information directly to someone who's been evicted. But sometimes it's like more people need to know this, so let's make it fun and interesting, right? <laughs> um, you know, has my alderman been indicted? A lot of people don't even know who their alderman is in Chicago, right? And that's because, you know, maybe they don't understand how it affects their daily lives or whatever. But like, you know, everyone always likes a laugh, right? And um, there's something about the, uh, again, <laughs> the history of corruption in <laughs> Chicago and uh, just understanding that a lot of our public officials don't don't necessarily exit due to the ballot box, right? Well, some of them are sent directly to prison. And so, so yeah, I don't know. I would say it's the, I love the creativity of our team. You know, folks who work at City Bureau are told that, you know, we're here to experiment. We're here to try new things. The goal is to make sure people are informed and anything that you want to do around that, whether it's building a bot or a specialty website or whatever it's going to be. I mean, those two are both, those two specific things are both the brainchild of our amazing developer, Pat Sears. So um, I got to give credit where credit's due, but really it's like the, the spirit of, um, of experimentation that makes that possible. I have a couple of questions off that, but since you mentioned uh, one of your colleagues, um, can you tell us about your staff, the other people that uh, helped you found City Bureau? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so my co-founders, uh, Daryl Holliday, Harry Backlund, and Andrea Hart, truly amazing people um, that made this possible. I think, uh, you know, the co-leadership model that we built uh, was meant to model the, the journalism that we want, which is that everybody has a say, you know, we're not trying to be heroes, we're not trying to be like, you know, some sort of shining pinnacle or anything, but just proving that you can create a journalism that's different from what exists already. And what are the ideas meetings uh, that you have to discuss things like, has my alderman been indicted.com? What are those like? Um, I don't know if we have like specific ideas meetings. It's just like, you know, conversations or again, like facilitating conversations so that you can see things from different perspectives. Um, just making sure to take a step back and not always wondering, for instance, like, oh, how come no one's clicking on this article, right? Like to, to be able to actually take action on um, when you understand that for whatever reason, what you're doing isn't working, uh, to know that there are other options and that we will support them 
um, and that we have this amazing community of people who have gathered around City Bureau, whether it's because of our programs or our partnerships or whatever it happens to be, you know, folks who don't work directly at City Bureau, but who, you know, have just been part of um, our conversations who um, sort of enliven that uh, that area to make sure that we're not never going to get stuck in a rut or anything like that. Is there anything that I've mentioned uh, that I haven't mentioned uh, so far or anything that I've mentioned that you're particularly proud of from, um, I guess, since the pandemic began? Mm. Since the pandemic began, I think we should all just be proud of the fact that we made it <laughs> to now. It's been a really tough time. Um, I think it's really important for folks who, um, who are used to the traditional model of journalism to understand that we are not in normal times and that you need to take care of yourself. I know so many journalists locally and my friends who are just working to the bone and who are made to feel like they have to thank their employers just for an hour off, right? We at City Bureau put a lot of attention and effort into thinking about people's mental health and wellness, making sure that people can take the time off that they need to be able to do this kind of creative and exciting work because it's not possible when you're overworked to do like to, to do that, to feel like you can experiment that you can try something new, you know. Um, so I guess I would say what I'm most proud of is just the internal culture that we're building and trying to ensure that people who are um, either working at City Bureau or working with City Bureau can feel a benefit and feel like there is a welcoming and, um, you know, understanding environment where they can do this work. I've heard you say we're not counting clicks. So what is success for your organization? <sighs> that is such a, <laughs> it's a tough question. We've been working on it really, really hard. Um, we have a, an impact report that came out earlier uh, last year that basically details the different ways that we can measure our impact. One of them being, you know, the number of relationships that we are able to facilitate. How much are we teaching people skills? How much are we creating opportunities, especially paid opportunities? So I would say that, you know, we're still learning every day how to measure our impact. Whether it's, you know, somebody calling us up and being like, thank you for telling me that I have an eviction filing, or if it's that we connected one of our alumni with a resource or a grant, um, you know, I think it's really important to consider journalism as part of a, an ecosystem of information. So whether or not we're providing a particular story or a piece of information, we need to create multiple actors and institutions around us who can support this ecosystem. Otherwise, you, we can't do it on our own. And it really requires uh, a lot of people to be mobilized in this effort to improve the way that we share information in Chicago. I have three other questions. I think we already touched on this one already, but just to revisit it. What is your group uh, doing? I know the fellowship program with regards to diversity in journalism and what are your observations on that subject uh, just as a whole? Well, we could probably do another whole half hour on yep. this. Um, I would say in short that diversity is going to, diversity should be and Diversity in journalism is one of the reasons that City Bureau started, but again, like I said, you know, what we realized quickly is that it's simply not enough that um, to combat the racism in the industry and in the wider world, it is not just incumbent on people being brought into the industry, but rather reimagining the way that it, that everything is done. 
you know, I think the best example is crime coverage, right? Like in news, crime is the bread and butter. It gets the clicks, it gets, uh, you know, it, it always leads the, uh, the TV news. We need to really critically examine things like crime coverage and the way that it creates, um, it perpetuates white supremacy, that it perpetuates um, racial essentialism, things that I think journalists have tried to dust their hands off of to just say like, well, it's the facts. So here are the facts without and being like really, um, how would you say, I think uh, purposefully blind to the effect that your work has on the world. Um, and I think that's a perfect example of why creating a more diverse journalism industry simply isn't enough. So that's where I'll leave it at for this one. <laughs> All right, that feeds right into to the next question. Uh, what advice do you have for people who want to take a hyper-local approach to big city journalism? First of all, excellent choice. <laughs> I, I think I think local local is the way to go if you're if you're really looking at doing things on the ground, making sure you understand your community. Um, I think you know, be humble. Even if you're from a place, that doesn't mean you know a place. Listen, listen, listen. Um, talk to as many people as you can. Develop relationships, and just know that, like you know that you are joining again an ecosystem right that like it's not just that you're going to hover around the edges and uh and uh you know <laughs> report the news from some sort of like the view from nowhere right um that you are part of a community and that you need to understand the nuances of that and so you know being humble going in listening and being prepared to sort of join this ecosystem bring something to the table right like what are you going to offer to people and, and be aware of your position of power as a journalist. Sounds like, uh, in a word, immerse uh, would be uh, one way to describe yeah. it. Last question. Uh, we always ask uh, each interviewee uh, at the end of the interview to pick a journalism organization, not theirs, that they would like to salute. I think in the tradition of City Bureau, it would make more sense for me to choose not a journalism organization, right? Because like the whole point is that yep. like, it's not just journalists, but I, I know I, you mentioned what you're doing, so I yep. get it. And you've already listed a few of the folks that we really admire. Um, yep. Have you spoken with the people at the Devil's Strip? I have not. Educate us on them. Oh, well, they're amazing. They um, uh, recently became a community-owned co-op a hyper-local Akron, Ohio group. Um, and they are really embodying the kind of work of immersing in a, a community, um, you know, ha making sure that people who live in the area are able to give direct feedback and be in conversation with folks who are, are uh, making news there. And yeah, I think the ownership model is really exciting. It's a real investment in and a commitment to uh, being accountable directly to your audience. All right, we will check them out. Also, before we go, we should note that the organization is celebrating a birthday. We are celebrating our fifth birthday. So, you know, as part of that, we're having an event, a virtual event, where when we're inviting people to come uh, chat with us, learn more about our work and our model. Um, people from across the country who normally aren't able to come to our events would, you know, would be more than welcome to come because this is a great time to really to reflect on five years of what we've been doing, uh, building a local media that's more responsive to the community that it serves, 
Um, and of course, if people are excited about the, uh, the model and want to support it, you know, all donations are being doubled until the end of the year. So that's also an exciting thing that's happening. When is the event? It is December 10th. Bettina, thank you for joining us. Great. Thank you. It's great to chat. When you think of Chicago news media, you immediately think of the Chicago Tribune or the Sun-Times, but that's an outdated way of thinking. Organizations like City Bureau are here and they're making an important impact. In a world of so much journalism contraction, expansion in cities like Chicago, Detroit, New York, and as she mentioned, Akron, Ohio, is great to see. If you want to learn more about City Bureau, go to their website, citybureau.org. You can also find links to Bettina's TEDx talk and a series of lessons she did with another of City Bureau's co-founders for the Craig Newmark School of Journalism. The Journalism Salute is dedicated to the memory of Dr. Robert Cole, who ran the journalism program at my alma mater, Trenton State College, the College of New Jersey, for more than 30 years. I will never forget covering a local city meeting as part of one of Dr. Cole's classes. The people in the meeting didn't have microphones, and it was almost impossible to follow what was going on. But that didn't stop Dr. Cole from being the most excited person in the room. He understood the importance of what being there meant. Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. If you're interested in following along with us, follow us on Twitter at Journalism Salute, S-A-L-U-T. There are more episodes to come. Thank you for tuning in.